Good morning again, and I would like to call this meeting of All Souls Cathedral, the annual meeting, to order. Uh, I have been with you now as your interim dean uh, for just 11 weeks. I don't know how this can be, but at the exact same time, those 11 weeks, on the one hand, feel like they have flown by, and it feels like I have been here much longer than that. It's been a jam-packed time. There's been a lot um, from meeting everyone all at once to having a half-day clergy liturgy mini-retreat with Naomi and Millie and Kyle at the Diocesan Center to getting to know Abby and Mickey and Margot and David and conducting regular staff meetings as well as one-on-one meetings to getting to know the office volunteers to engaging a stewardship pledge follow-up, to holding a vestry day-long mini-retreat at Deerfield, attending a Koinonia meeting and Koinonia adult forums, holding regular warden executive committee and vestry meetings, attending finance committee meetings, and and testing Jack's patience between uh, finance committee meetings, Uh, attending my first diocesan convention here, convening the Vestry Nominations Committee to develop the slate that is being presented today, advocating that we engage ministry architects to address long-term goals and possibilities for children and youth ministries here, plus teaching and preaching and pastoring. And, oh yeah, in the middle of all that was this um, Advent and Christmas thing. And all the while, we were trying to unpack from our move here from Northern Virginia and get used to politeness in traffic, relatively speaking. And in our free time, Mary and I have been finding places to hike with our dog and to explore all that Asheville has to offer. Through all that, we've been graciously and warmly welcomed, and I want to thank you for that. What a remarkable faith community this is, and what a joy it is to be able to play a part in it for a time. It is for a time, it's an interim time, an interim ministry is unique, and an interim stage in a congregation is unique. It's an in-between time. It's between the end of a long and wonderful deanship by Todd, and it is before what will be another long and wonderful deanship by whoever your next dean will be. And in thinking about that in-between time nature of this work, I'm reminded of a story you may have heard about the man who went into an Irish pub around one in the afternoon and walked in but found it to be completely empty. And he walked around and looked around a bit and he heard a voice in the back, someone say, I'm sorry, we don't open until four o'clock. And he says, oh, that's okay. And she says, would you like a pint while you're waiting? (laughs) I love that image of Not yet, but why not already? (laughs) None of us in our faith journeys, no congregation is there yet. But that's no reason to not act as if we already were. So much of the Christian faith is about recognizing that the destination is the journey. So even though it's only been a short time, We've done a lot together already. Some of the most important work has been getting to know one another, developing relationships, laying the groundwork for that successful interim period, 
between Todd and your next dean, whoever she or he might be. So much of ministry is about relationships. It's interesting that if you read the Bible, how much emphasis is given to relationships. And as I said in my annual report, that's part of the reason I'm so grateful that this particular faith community takes involvement so seriously. Again, when you pray, move your feet. Your mission statement says that in different words. We worship a God who gets involved in the messy beauty of creation. Likewise, we seek to be a community involved in the challenges and celebrations of our community outside the physical walls of the cathedral in Asheville, Western North Carolina, and the wider world. The most important word in, this, in the Book of Common Prayer, I think, is the word go. Go, go, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Be fed here, be nourished here, be encouraged here, be inspired here. But it's not an end in itself. Go, go into the world to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And I think that's a major charism or ethos of all souls. And a carrier of that ethos or charism is the vestry. And a major responsibility of any dean or interim dean is working with the vestry and providing leadership with the vestry. And a bit later, I'll be asking each of the current vestry members to stand to be recognized, and we'll thank them, especially those who uh, have, are completing their three-year terms and who are rotating off. But for now, just let me say that I feel fortunate to have been able to work with such a fantastic vestry. The bylaws of your cathedral require that the first order of business at the annual meeting, so never mind everything that I just said, is the election of vestry members. And as most of you already know, the vestry of this church, like most churches of this size, is comprised of 12 members, each of whom are serving three-year terms, but the terms are staggered such that four of them, or a third of the vestry, rotates off every year. The wisdom of that model is that congregations get both continuity and change in any given year, a full third of the vestry is brand new. Two-thirds of it are repeating, are coming back, passing on the wisdom and the momentum of their work. So over the course of three years, a congregation can and does have 100% turnover in the vestry. There is both continuity and change, a healthy balance. And it's been a special joy to get to know this vestry really is a remarkable and talented and hardworking vestry, and I'd like to reintroduce them so that we can express our thanks before we have the business of electing new vestry members. First, those rotating off, Bill Bryant, who's also been your senior warden. Bill, stand, please. <laughs> Joe Cummings, right behind him, Joe. David Jordan, is back. And Julie Fortney. Julie, Julie, um, I give to you a gift that I gave to the other three uh, vestry members. Julie was not able to attend the last, her last vestry meeting with the vestry because she was attending her brother-in-law's um, funeral, um, David's brother Joe. Uh, they, they were at their funeral the night of the last vestry meeting. So this is a gift, to, a token of our appreciation, to thank you as I thanked the other members of the vestry for their remarkable service. Let's give them a thanks.
And standing, when I call your name, returning for their second year on the vestry are Sally Condor, Dennis Maxwell, Michael McLaughlin, and Tahani Stipwich. Tahani is not with us. She is uh, uh, sick, and she won't be able to give her half of the Konania report, but um, those are the four that are returning for their second year. And returning for their third year on the vestry are Tim Fisher, Cheryl Glenn, who also serves as your junior warden, Charles Van Harkness, and Abby Moore. Thank you for your returning service. Abby, if you would stand again. Many of you know Abby is a member of the Asheville Fire Department and Emergency Management Division. And at any time it would be appropriate for us as her faith community to recognize and thank her for public service, uh, but particularly today because Abby just found out yesterday that she is being deployed tomorrow to Puerto Rico um, to help in the aftermath of that horrible uh, earthquake and its aftershocks. And so um, let us uh, pause for a moment and say a prayer. I'm doing this with Abby's permission, by the way. I'm not surprising her here. Um, Let's uh, say a prayer for Abby and wish her Godspeed. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. God, we are grateful for the courage and fortitude of Abby, firefighters, emergency personnel colleagues. We are thankful for their hard work, their dedication to the safety of others for the sacrifices they and their families make as they protect us. Help us to never take for granted those who put their own comfort and even safety on the line for the public good. May Abby feel your strength, give her traveling mercies, a successful deployment, and a safe return. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Now we come to the election of four new vestry members. It's the custom, or at least it's the recent custom of this congregation for a nominations committee comprised of the dean, members rotating off the vestry, and at least one at-large parishioner to form a vestry nominations committee. And after spending at least a month soliciting nominations of qualified candidates for election to develop a vestry-nominated slate comprised of the same number of candidates as there are vacancies and in this year, as in most years, those are four, and to present that slate to the congregation at the time of your annual meeting for election. The slate was distributed electronically the past two weeks, made available as a separate hard copy insert last Sunday, and was also included in the Cathedral Connection annual report in both electronic and hard copies. That slate is comprised of, and please stand when I call your names, Jeff Benninghoffen, Ginger Hubner, Amy Nisley, and Ann Paul. Your bylaws, please be seated. Your bylaws state that at the time of the annual meeting, we ask for any additional nominations of candidates qualified to serve as described in your bylaws, and those qualifications must be read to the congregation at this time. Article 2, Section 6. To be elected to serve on the vestry, a nominee must be, one, a confirmed communicant of the Episcopal Church, enrolled as a member of the cathedral, 18 years of age or older. Two, have been regular in attendance at the services of the church for six months or contributed in other ways known to the dean in the year preceding election. Three, have made and substantially maintained a stated financial contribution to the cathedral known to the treasurer in the year preceding nomination. 
qualifications should govern the continued service on the vestry as leaders of the cathedral. Vestry members should set an example through active participation in the worship, life, and financial support of the cathedral. So with that, I now call for any additional nominations. Seeing none, I call for a motion for nominations to be closed. Someone's writing that down. And it's been seconded, so I now ask the congregation to vote to close nominations. All in favor saying yes. Any opposed say no. Thank you. And now I need to remind you who's qualified to vote for vestry members according to your bylaws. All worshipers of not less than 16 years of age being communicants who have contributed to the support of the cathedral in the last six months. That's an honor system. And so if you are qualified according to that definition, you are invited to vote. And since there are four candidates for four positions, we are allowed to do this by voice acclamation rather than paper ballots. And so um, let me now call for uh, the election of those uh, four individuals that I had earlier uh, stated uh, for election to the vestry. And just for the record, let me read them again. Jeff Benninghoffen, Ginger Hubner, Amy Nisley, and Ann Paul. All in favor of electing them to the vestry for a three-year term, please say yes. yes. Any opposed, say no. And congratulations and thank you to you four. Again, would you mind standing? I'd now like to introduce uh, four uh, people just to give you a sense of what to anticipate. Bill Bryant, your outgoing senior warden. Jack Parsons, your treasurer. Tom Vickery, property. And Amanda Maxwell, who is speaking on her behalf as well as on behalf of Tahani uh, on Koinonia. First, Bill. Good morning. morning. Being a member of the vestry and serving as a senior warden this past year has been an honor. I'm sincerely grateful for the avenue of service provided by Vestry membership, and I'm thankful for the continued blessings of this community. I am proud to have helped with the first steps of our transition that brought John Omer to be the interim dean of our cathedral. When Bishop Jose first spoke to me about John serving as our interim, he said he was sending us the very best person he knew for the job a person who had exceptional and meaningful experience as well as the personal insight to understand what he referred to as the ethos of all souls. I have, over the past three months, found John to be highly inquisitive and insightful. It has been interesting to see John as he looks at all souls with fresh eyes and with the perspective gained from his years of experience. I believe John... Uh, excuse me, I believe Jose, Bishop Jose, was right in both his understanding of the character of all souls and in John's fit to our church. Today, we elect four new members of our vestry, each outstanding with special gifts and strengths. The entire vestry has a very important responsibility over the next year, and I urge them and all of us as members of all souls to trust the process that has been laid out for us by the diocese and to trust in John's leadership. As I have described in my written report, 
The next step in our path to transition will be for the vestry to appoint a discernment chair, followed by the selection of a discernment committee. Canon Augusta and Bishop Jose will meet with the vestry in the next month or so to explain and initiate the next steps forward. The vestry will, in cooperation with a ministerial consulting firm, conduct a self-study of our church. The parish profile developed through this process is exceptionally important and will engage all of us in large and small meetings, focus groups, and as individuals. It is important for us to define who we are as a parish as we attempt to define the qualities we seek in a new dean. 31 years ago, Janice and I and our three little boys first came to All Souls, and All Souls has been our church home ever since. Over those 31 years, our little boys have changed. <laughs> They've grown to be men, and just as we have seen changes in growth in our church. The parish became the cathedral. We increased our membership amongst younger families and now seek to create a full-time youth position. We initiated ministries for those with AIDS and made it known that the LGBTQ community were welcome. We addressed the issues of same-sex marriage, and we have begun to address issues relating to racial and economic injustice. It is now time to consider what All Souls might become in the future, and what changes we have yet to imagine, and what vision we have yet to embrace. The process of transition to find a new dean is a transformative process, a process that will change us as individuals and as a church. It is essential that we embrace these changes, that we continue to relate to each other and connect with each other to find pathways of hope, joy, and love. Thank you. Jack Parsons, your treasure. Thank you, Jack. So it really has been just an ordinary year. <laughs> and uh, in the uh, annual report, you'll see an extraordinary written report uh, and that's available online. None of that would have been possible without the financial support of all of you. We've now closed the accounting records for 2019. For the year ending, we had budgeted pledges in the amount of $645,000 coming from 273 families, uh, pledging units, families and individuals. We are ending the year with a small gain, which the vestry has already determined will be reinvested and rolled over into the New Year's operations. And once we fully close the books for the year, we will be engaging the accounting firm of Corliss and Solomon to examine the financial records and conduct a full audit this year. That's just part of our ordinary process year to year. The news for 2020 is more mixed. Last Monday, 
the vestry at a called meeting adopted a preliminary budget with ongoing funding for the programs of the cathedral and the current level of staffing, along with support for the work of the diocese. Uh, we'll, we've approved compensation packages for our three clergy as previously agreed to and are awarding 2% raises to the lay staff. The beginning budget totals $983,900. We continue to stretch to do all that we are called to do in this place. As Bill said, still to be considered is the future of our youth worker linked with the visit of ministry architects next weekend and consideration of changes in our benefit structure for staff to assist in the retention of, of the great staff we have and the recruitment of new staff, including a new dean, in the future. So what supports that budget is the largest source of income that is from individual support via pledging and general plate offerings given from, from you. We didn't quite reach our goal for pledges that we set earlier. Uh, pledging is that, is that old-fashioned process of making a promise around giving and then sending in a pledge card for the year or doing it online. And in this age of phone apps and electronic banking, uh, this technique is less and less in vogue. It, it just isn't sexy anymore. Yet, yet I, I can tell you that, um, that it helps the church significantly with making sound financial decisions because we, we know what we can expect. It's an outward sign of commitment for each of us. And, and it's a planning tool, even if it has to be changed during the year. D did you know that you are free to change your pledge during the year at any time due to a change in your life circumstances? It could go down or, or it could go up. So now there's a special interruption for an installment of All Souls Jeopardy. Our player is uh, Kathy Rauch, a former senior warden. Her tithe, uh, I mean, her, her wager is, uh, of course, 10%. The answer is, it is what supports the expanding work of a vibrant parish. Yes! <laughs> she just saved her soul. No. <laughs> Again, in the written report you'll see online or, or written copies at the back, you'll find more information about our fund accounting system, the tracking that we have in place for the endowment, uh, Kairos West, Faith for Justice, Cathedral Arts, and the Dean's Discretionary Fund. Thank you, thank you, thank you to uh, Margot Searson, our financial assistant in the office, and members of the Finance Committee, Robin Boylan, Amy Congdon, Mac McCormick, Daphne Murdoch, Chip Watkins, Martha Ziegler, and, and thanks to Billy Stommer and David Jordan, who each served as vestry liaisons during part of 2019. Anyway, I, I do love these ordinary years. Um, it's a reassuring sign of, of our life together. It's, it's been a privilege to serve as your treasurer in this place. It's been part of my offering for a number of years now. 
And sorry, this year, uh, no fun with numbers, uh, no Gilbert and Sullivan songs, um, or even foot jokes. Just an ordinary uh, report, along with Jeopardy. Amen. Tom Vickery for property. Tom, are you here? Thank you. Hey there. I have hopes that a cough drop will get me through this. I had laryngitis this week, and when Abby called, I said, I'm not sure I can come up. But I'm here, and I'll get three minutes in. Uh, the, the Properties Committee, or Commission, is charged with the restoration, repair, and maintenance of our historic campus. We have a very active group. Different people bring different perspectives and skills. We have Cody McAfee, who is really good with how water passes through stone. Matt Tidwell, Nancy Butler, who is also involved with our grounds, with the lay weeders. Rob Moody, who understands hydrostatic pressure, which is really important. Martha Fullington, who keeps our nose to the grind in terms of we have to keep a historical perspective in everything we do. Millie Elmore, who helps us again with the grounds. Leland Derryberry, who has been past chairman of the properties group. David Fortney, who is our facilities manager. And Cheryl Glenn, our liaison, our vestry liaison. I'm not going to read to you the projects that we did this year. That is the same as last year and the year and the year before. There's a new unique group of projects, but always they're there. What I do want to mention is that a few years ago, Leland Derryberry, the uh, chairman of the committee, you got a call from another church, a person that was in charge of properties at that church, and it was a historic church, and they had issues with deferred maintenance, excuse me, my voice, deferred maintenance. They had been kicking the can down the road for a long time, and it had built into a huge, huge problem. And so Leland got the call to say, well, what do you do at All Souls? How do you get around that? How do you keep your campus in the shape it's in? And the answer is simple. The leadership at All Souls stays behind it. We, I was shocked when I came to the committee of how dedicated clergy and vestry are in terms of not kicking the can down the road. I would bring something up that came out of committee. It's several thousand dollars. You know, it sounds like a lot to me. But no, no. If we need to do this, we do this. And so the problem that was given to us or given to Leland from the other church, we just don't have that problem or haven't had that problem in the past. We do have ongoing issues that we can't seem to ever get completely solved. And one of them has been water. Uh, and uh, Paul Bresney, a long-term member of the committee, uh, several years ago said at a meeting that when he came here in 1980, there was water under the church, and particularly unexcavated areas under the church and roaming rooms and parish hall. And it was there then. 2002, we had a survey done by Robert Griffin to understand our campus and what was going on with our buildings. And again, water was there. It's been there all along. So under Leland's leadership a couple of years ago, we started trying to figure out why there's water gathering under the church. We went through engineering. We went through excavation. We went through everything we knew to go through to figure out why water keeps gathering. 
David Fortney brought a pump in, a plumber, under the robing rooms. We always had a pump there because keeping it bailed out. But when we pumped, the water came right back in. And we're talking drain water now. We're not talking about it. We're talking about the water that comes off of our buildings into our gutters and then needs to leave the campus. Well, the water always came back. So uh, we had this plumber come in and pump it out to Hendersonville Road. And we found out that in one time there were 1,600 gallons of water under the robing rooms. Our, our plaster, our historic plaster was crumbling. We had ceiling plaster. The ambulatory, you know, the wonderful hallway behind the chancel, the plaster was cracking. So the water was creating long-term problems. We brought everything we knew to bear. We had excavations on All Souls Crescent, excavations on Hendersonville Road. You probably saw those the last few years, the ugly excavations. Well, we kept running into dead ends, the mysteries. The water would come off the gutters, but it wouldn't leave the campus. While we were doing all this, David Fortney, is David here today? Oh, David Fortney, he was like something biblical. I mean, he's got his staff and his hose. It could be, I'm serious, no, I'm serious. He had a steel rod and he had a hose. It looked like a, you know, a serpent. And David, while we're doing all these explorations, goes out there and says, water, you know, he's a scientist. Water will not run uphill. Not under, if it's not under pressure. So he understood that. And so understanding that, he goes downhill. And he takes his rod and he sticks it in the ground. And he takes his hose and he pours water in the gutters. And he discovers that, yes, indeed, there is a big problem. Water won't flow uphill. All of our drainage water that was for some reason planted a long time ago on the, this side of our campus, the All Souls Crescent, was draining into a dead end. And so it was always backing up. But out here on Hendersonville Roadside, we had an option. David found another connection, and this whole side of the campus was draining. We called a plumber, we did a bypass, and it worked. And for the first time in maybe a long, long time, the, the, underneath the robing rooms and the unexcavated areas of the church, it was dry which meant we could repair our plaster and repaint and do things that we should do. Anyway, I just wanted to mention this because David... <laughs> we thought we were going to spend a ton of engineering money, a ton of money in excavating our campus, the, the absolute destruction of the Garth. We didn't. Thank you all, and if anybody's interested in historical restoration, maintenance and repair, we always have room on the committee. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And our fourth and final presenter is Amanda Maxwell for Koinonia. Amanda. I was asked to share my experience with Koinonia and what drew me to the work how the work has encouraged and challenged me and what I hope for its future at All Souls. At the MLK Junior Prayer Breakfast yesterday, Dr. Joy DeGroy also asked us to demonstrate integrity in a moment of choice. In every moment of the day, we are making choices to support and empower or look away and dismiss. Ultimately, the goal of Kononia is to be in relationship with our community as we work towards social and economic justice. So how is it affecting my moment of choice? How can I demonstrate integrity 
as I'm working with an African-American student, working with colleagues, working on a committee, or with a community partner? How have, sorry, how can I have a more genuine connection with those around me? If, for example, a student is in my office and their body language, manner of eye contact, conversation style, and leading questions are different from what I would expect from my upbringing, I stop and ask myself why, and I think about our different legacies. According to Merriam-Webster, legacy has three definitions, and I realize that our three-part legacy is why we do this work of Kononia. So the first definition. A legacy is something transmitted by or received from an ancestor or predecessor or from the past, like an inheritance. The process of Kononia has helped me to recognize and take ownership of my inheritance from a nation whose foundation was formed by and around a white supremacist ideology. So when I'm with the student, colleague, or community partner, I think, what are my assumptions about a person that doesn't look, sound, or act like me? What do I know? Roll your eyes, right? And what is it based on? Who created that narrative? What is their background? What is their goal? And as Dr. DeGroy also said, you can't fix what you don't know. The second definition, a legacy is a candidate for membership in an organization such as a school or fraternal order who is given a special status because of a familiar relationship to a member. So I try to keep these questions in mind when I'm considering my relationships. When do I have access and opportunity? When do I feel welcome and comfortable in a space? And what if others don't, and why? Am I thriving? at the expense of another person? Are we thriving at the expense of a group of people? The third definition, a legacy is a gift by will. And here I'm going to diverge from the dictionary a little bit. While money and property are absolutely intertwined in these problems, when I am with that person or community partner, I think, what else do I want to leave those who come after me? Am I willing to be uncomfortable and stay present? Being okay with the feelings and even inviting them in? Am I willing to challenge the status quo within a white dominated hierarchy? Am I willing to jeopardize my own advantage to advocate and even insist on equity? Am I willing to question whether people of color truly feel valued and included instead of watching quietly while white people push their cultural ideal of diversity? Will I compromise my own success, privilege, career advancement, job opportunity, and even friend and family relationships? In this process of kononia, I've begun to recognize my legacy with both the past, the present, and taking an active role in the future. I've learned to challenge the perspective and even the language that I use. I've learned to redefine the goal and success to focus on relationship and empowering others. 
So how do I choose to engage and connect when I talk with that black or brown skin person, committee, colleague, or community partner? I admit to myself and also to others that the challenges that I've experienced in life were regularly advantaged by this light-colored skin that I inherited. So I'm willing to challenge the inertia of the white narrative, to get uncomfortable, to invite others to challenge my assumptions, to admit my blunders as I continue to learn, and most importantly, be quiet and listen. Konani at All Souls is an invitation to learn, engage, and then, as Dr. Legroy said, DeGroy, excuse me, demonstrate integrity in a moment of choice. To demonstrate integrity and accept the legacy of our past, and in every present moment, choose to change the legacy that we offer to those who come behind us. When you pray, move your feet. Thank you. Thank you to each of you, and thanks be to God for the spirit moving within those ministries. To wrap things up, and as a segue to the rest of the liturgy, I want to um, thank some folks by name. There's always a risk in um, thanking people by name, uh, and that's the risk of omitting someone. So advance apologies if I have omitted your name. I... um, I will just, um, I will, uh, I'm going to play my honeymoon card and and say, I'm still in my honeymoon here, and I forgot, and I didn't know, so please give me a pass on that. But these are the folks um, that I think we owe our thanks to, and I'll read their names, invite you to stand, and at the very end, if you hold your applause, we can can thank them all at one time. And that's uh, Louis Sorrells, helping with liturgy, Kim Miller with liturgy and pastoral care, Hope Clater with pastoral care, Shari Rafi with pastoral care, Anna Garrett outreach, Heidi Gripe outreach, Jody Lane with liturgy, Donna Pate parish life, Helen Heilig for she's been doing newcomers. She's been not only organizing the class and welcoming newcomers, but she's also been organizing the parish retreat uh, for the past several years. A.K. Benninghoffen and her crew of people for the annual fall festival that raises money for the parish retreat. George Hayhoe, liturgy, lay readers. And then um, Naomi is uh, away at her um, dear, dear friend's funeral that um, she got news of just a couple weeks ago. And Glenda is also, she's teaching, these are clergy colleagues obviously, um, Glenda is teaching at Trinity the next several weeks. Millie, uh, clergy colleague, who you know uh, has been honored, uh, and by association we have been honored, um, she's been honored by the presiding bishop to represent this province of the Episcopal Church at the United Nations Commission on the Status of Women in New York City. Um, So congratulations to her. We look forward to hearing about your experiences there when you get back. We have also a very good group of adjunct clergy, um, and they are in the annual report. Please stand, um, adjunct clergy, any of you who happen to be present. Finally, Tim Fisher and Bob Huber, 
who organize the ushers as well as any other, other ushers who serve in the ushers ministry. That is the um, first people that people see when they're new to the church. Very important ministry. Thank you. I'm going to go ahead and put this microphone on because I don't want to say something is, this is my favorite Episcopal joke, something is wrong with this microphone and the congregation responds and also with you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, finally, to thank the uh, Altar Guild uh, and the litur- anybody involved in, in the Sunday in and Sunday out liturgies, would you stand and be thanked as well? Any Altar Guild member? They're in the back getting ready for communion? No, there we are. Thank you, Altar Guild. And then finally is a very clever segue, Kyle and the choirs. If you would stand. And as the choirs, if you would remain standing and move your feet, it is now time for the rest of our offertory and the rest of our offering to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving, making good our vows to the Most High.